This is the big time, girly. This is rock and roll. Hey everybody, you're in the dummy room. I'm Jody Havnot, joined as always by Mr. Nate Demel. What's up, Nate? Not much, man. I'm doing good. Um, I'm excited for this episode. It's uh, episode... 27 so um it's a big one right yeah totally it's 27 so obviously we had to make it uh weasel related somehow oh yeah for sure so uh what's up with you uh what's what's new nothing much new going on same old shit man weather sucks it's cold and rainy still dude yesterday i was sick and i woke up this morning not kidding you my chest hurt so fucking bad and i couldn't really talk and i still haven't Still don't have the ability to talk very well, but um, hopefully my voice holds out for uh, for our guest tonight. Hopefully. But um, what's this? Uh, tell me about this raccoon thing that happened, <laughs> dude. Okay, so just earlier, man, like a you know, like six o'clock tonight, we have this deck, right? And that's where I go outside and smoke if I want to smoke and whatnot. And that's also where my cat Peter Chris comes in and out from, right? And uh, there's like this neighborhood uh, we live like. Literally next door, across the street, is a nature preserve. So our neighborhood is filled with, like, critters. <laughs> you know, raccoons, deer, all number of crazy animals, right? Mm-hmm. So it's pretty common for me to see them all the time. But uh, the raccoons out here are really ridiculous. But anyhow, my cat is kind of brown and kind of looks like a raccoon. Like, if, if his back is to you, <laughs> he looks just like a raccoon. <laughs> so anyways, man, I go out on the deck. And I see what I think is my cat sitting there, right? I'm like, hey, what are you doing? And no response. And so I just kind of nudged him with my foot. And it it turned and it was a fucking raccoon. I was like, oh, shit. And I fucking basically punted it off the fucking deck. (laughs) I fucking kicked it off the deck, dude. Because it was just like a, a... just a response. I looked and it was not my cat. It was a fucking gnarly raccoon. And I was like, oh, fuck. And just kind of kicked it. And then there it went off into the woods. Holy shit. It wasn't scared of you or, or anything, huh? Dude, I walked right up to it. It's That's back nuts. was to me. And I thought it was my cat. It was fucked up. And then, so where's your cat? You find your cat? Cat's inside. No. Yeah. Oh, okay. Good, good, good. But it was Damn. scary. Fucking scary. Because those things are vicious. No shit. Yeah. I'm just glad he didn't fucking bite me or some shit. <laughs> but anyways, everything was fine, man. He got kicked away. I'm fine. Just a bizarre occurrence. That's, yeah. He'll be back, up. man. Yeah, I mean, no animals were harmed in the making of this. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he was fine. Um, Yeah, and this is, I, I don't have anything. I mean, I've just been, I've been feeling like shit this week. And turns out we're doing two episodes this week. So it's kind of a special week in the dummy room for us. Um. Uh, I don't know what else to say. We, uh, I'm anxious to hear this new fucking Jagger Holly record, dude. Yeah, man. The new song on the video is great.
yeah, looking forward to it. Um, hopefully we can, you know, play some more from it in future, you know, next week or something like that, maybe. Yeah. Who knows? So, uh, I don't know. Do we do we get right into this thing, or do we... You got anything else this week? I ain't got shit, man. I'm excited. We're about to talk to Ben Weasel, dude. We are going to talk to Ben Weasel here. Hopefully it goes all good. I don't. We don't know what we're going to get out of him, so... <laughs> Yeah, hopefully uh, everything works out. We got to give uh, a special shout out to Haley and to uh, Kelsey, Kelsey for basically yeah. hooking this up. Yeah, they not basically, definitely hooking this up for us. So thanks, Kelsey and Haley. And uh, hey, let's play one of Haley's songs right now, dude. Let's do it. Yeah, let's do Bad Girls, man. That's my shit. Bad one dude i love that song yeah <clears throat> it is I, I really like it uh they're a cool band man so hopefully we can have her on yeah she needs to come uh, on she wants to come on so yeah. she would uh we haven't had a we haven't had any girls on yet so that'd be cool so thanks yeah. so much ladies kelsey and Haley. we really appreciate it you know we always kind of joked about having been weasel on and we never thought it would actually happen <laughs> nope he's kind of one of those guys that seems a little unattainable uh, but thanks to some really cool people, you know, it's happening tonight. So fingers crossed episode. this works out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's unfucking real that it turned out to be episode fucking 27. Yeah. So total coincidence. It's kismet. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah, so fuck it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's try this. We have news for the beautiful people. There's a lot more of us in our view. Any of you that have ever felt stepped on, left out, picked on, put down, why don't you just come down here and join us, okay?
All right, we're here with Ben Weasel. Uh, ben needs no introduction. If you're listening to uh, The Dummy Room, you already fucking know about this guy. So before we get into all the cool shit, Ben, I just got to say that uh, Jody and I are both big weasel dorks. Uh, we grew up listening to Screeching Weasel and Riverdales, and uh, I just want to say thanks for being here, man. It's awesome. Uh, thank you. Yeah, thanks Thanks for having me. I uh, am in a different spot in the house than I usually am, so uh, I imagine any second the dog's going to start making a lot of noise, so <laughs> forewarned. Uh <laughs> We can live with it, man. I actually, um, I have to leave my house to do the show because my kids and dogs will, um, they won't have it. You know, they'll either be wanting to be on or I'll be keeping them up. So I, I drive into my office and I, that's where, that's where I am now. So that's what I need an office. I've got an <laughs> office in the house, but I can't get the, uh, I can't get the Wi-Fi where I want it to have guests on the stream. So it, it, it it, the only thing I can do is what I'm doing now, which is to be in the kitchen. The kids are in bed, but uh, but the dog's next door. He's he's uh, penned off in the dining room, and and uh, there's no. I mean, I can't do it when the kids are around because there's no, you know, there's no way to avoid all the noise and everything. But you know, whatever. Yeah, I was uh, on last week's show. On your show, um, you were talking about you got the baby gates up to keep the dogs to keep the dog away. Yeah. Um, same thing at my house, and the kids are constantly slamming the baby gates, and yeah, pain in the ass. So. Yeah. All right. So, uh, speaking of your show, Ben, uh, it's tell us about it. Uh, kind of. I guess I'm wondering why you started it. Um, how'd you get it started on Twitch? Uh, I think about a year ago. Uh, one of the people I work with had had said that Twitch is, um, you know, the better option in terms of actually earning any money uh, because they pay out a higher percentage. I just think it's a, you know, it kind of goes with the philosophy of trying to never do one thing that doesn't relate to other things. So, I mean... You know, for over 15 years, recorded music has not uh, provided the income that it used to. So, you know, you got to try to make up for that to some extent. And uh, and the way to do that, I think, is to kind of centralize everything and create hubs. You know, it used to be the website was a hub. And now nobody goes to banned websites anymore. So... I don't know what it is now. It it that's part of the problem is there is no one thing. For for a lot of people it's Facebook, but for a lot of other people it's Bandcamp or or Twitter or whatever. Right. And and so I think there's more of a need to just keep in order to keep fans abreast of what's happening to uh, to kind of have a place where it's a little bit more of a one-stop shop. And I think the best way to do that without, you know, being kind of crass about it is, is to make yourself available. So it's, you know, a little bit more clear that it's not just some, you know, not that there's anything wrong with it, but just so that it's clear. It's not somebody on the payroll who's just, you know, running your social media for you. Uh, because, you know, people in general, but certainly on our level, the fans like to have more of a, a personal interaction. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's basically, you know, 
multifaceted thing and and so it's you know as to what it is i don't really know i think it's i think it's still being determined what it is i just kind of talk to the people who show up in the chat and uh as as i was saying earlier i want to have guests but i haven't figured out my uh latency uh problems that are caused by the location of my office uh, where I have to go on Wi-Fi. So once I get that sorted, I'm going to have um, guests on. Uh, but, you know, also let people know about what's happening, uh, you know, if we're doing shows or, you know, new merchandise is out or, or uh, you know, anything, I guess, that's happening in, in the world of the band. That's cool. Uh, so, I, it, you know, to me, I don't know if if this is the perfect way to do it or even a good way to do it but um so far so good and it's kind of i think the biggest hurdle is trying to get people to um to take on yet another you know another website another social media account nobody wants to do that i don't want to do that so i understand it but that's that that's that's the choice I have. I would reach a heck of a lot more people just going live on Facebook, but I get, I get, I'll earn nothing from that. Right. And, um, and there's not a reliable way. There's not a reliable and easy to access way to archive, uh, past recordings. It's just, it's not, you know, Facebook isn't the right situation. YouTube, I just can't stomach, you know, making money for, you know, a big corporation like that and getting, you know, paid, fractions of penny for right. each play it's just I, I can't bring myself to do that right man youtube's greasy as fuck dude so good on you but when i first heard about your stream dude i'd never even heard of twitch man i asked my daughter about it because she like basically grew up on the internet you know what i'm saying but yeah so i don't understand how you subscribe i couldn't figure that out man i actually did it today i subscribed to a channel today i finally figured it out and it was once once i did it i was like oh wait that was totally easy you have to go to the person's channel and uh first of all you can only subscribe to somebody who's at any an affiliate level or above okay and i i am an affiliate so you can subscribe to my channel but um you just you just got to poke around and uh, i don't remember exactly where it is but you yeah it's it's not i mean it's not a very well designed uh site in my opinion yeah but the immediacy you have there is really cool, man. Chatting live in real time, that's awesome. Like you were saying, it does yeah. kind of keep everybody informed as to everything you want them to know about. You know, it's really cool. It does, but but beyond that, too, it it puts less pressure on me. I don't feel any pressure sitting down to do it because um, it doesn't, you know, typically I don't really have anything planned. And, um, or I'll have like one subject that I'm going to maybe squeeze 15 minutes out of. And uh, and w- having the live chat there, though, you don't need that because those things will develop naturally. Yeah, you've got to be able to think on your feet, but um, but that's you know, I mean, that's what I do for a living, so it's it, that's not a big deal to me. Right. <laughs> so anyone who wants to find the stream, you just go to Twitch, you make yourself a little name on there, and you look for Ben Weasel twenty seven. And then there yeah. it is, all the archived episodes. It's really fucking cool. And, dude, this is our episode 27, <laughs> so we're stoked to have you here for that. 
But one thing <laughs> I've always wondered, I mean, what does that even mean, dude? And and question number two is going to be, what are your influences? No. Oh, but well. I've never heard the definitive, <laughs> you know, I kind of know what you And you never on. will. <laughs> you never will. Nobody knows. I've had, I've had ex-band members go, ah, I'll tell you what. No, you won't, because you don't know. <laughs> Nobody knows. My wife doesn't know. My kids don't know. Okay. Nobody knows but me, and I'm taking it to the grave. So, Do you think uh, it's kind of cool that there's all these crazy dudes that have that tattoo, and they don't even know what it means? <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, I don't, I don't think, uh, I don't think you need to, I mean, you know, you get a tattoo because you like the way something looks. I mean, yeah, you know, yeah, maybe it has some meaning to yeah. you, but, but if it didn't look cool in the first place, you, you know, you, it True. might still have meaning, but you're not going to go get it tattooed on you. Yeah, so I hear you. And actually that logo came from my tattoo. I mean, I designed that and 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 had it tattooed on me you know yeah. in the mid 90s and then we took a photo of it for the for the uh back of the album cover and it became you know the the logo for the riverdales right. uh, but uh i think it's i think it's fine you know for people to to uh the, you know they don't need to know it's, it doesn't matter yeah I mean, for me, it's like if I see that, that just tells me that they're a fan of the Riverdales or you in general, which is cool. Yeah. yeah. So it doesn't have to have some deep meaning or anything, but I just figured you were here, the dummy room dude. I had to ask. I've always wondered about that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It's okay. Right on. I want to make, I want to make fun of you for asking a question that a lot of people ask. That's all. <laughs> hey, I, I got I to interject here. Um, I actually did just sign up for Twitch since you started talking about it, and I am now subscribed. And oh, it's, thank you. It's really fucking easy, Jody. So says I'm a cool kid. <laughs> cool. There you go. Yeah. So. Well, after the show, you explain it to me, and I'll be subscribed later, too. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Um, so you do it on Tuesdays and Saturdays, huh, Ben? Yeah, I just changed the Saturday time. Some of the people were saying that they wanted me to go a little later, so I'm going at 1 p.m. Central on Saturdays. And and right now, it's 7.30 p.m. on on uh tuesdays but i i'm gonna see if anybody would mind if i move that a little earlier because um i'd rather just i'd rather just get to it and uh and and get done a little bit earlier but yeah it's twice a week and usually you know at least an hour and sometimes we'll go you know close to close to two hours it really depends a lot on the chat so we'll get people you know typically less than half the people watching live will chat. Uh, and that's fine. I mean, people show up and they don't, you know, they don't want to chat. I don't care. It doesn't bother me. But but when you participate like that, it definitely adds something. Because people, you know, sometimes people ask, you know, kind of dumb questions, but um, <laughs> then even the maybe kind of dumb questions occasionally result in other people asking slightly better questions like <laughs> more intelligent variations or something yeah so but but it's totally fan driven so you know probably you know any given stream i would say maybe 15 percent of it is is what i bring in where i'm going okay i'm going to talk about this or that today and then the rest of it is stuff that comes up in chat so i think it's better than you know doing like an ama on facebook live or something like that because um 
because there's a little bit more of a sense of community and you're not going to feel, you know, most people I think don't feel this pressure. Like I got to ask 800 questions, you know, right now, cause this is going to be my only chance, yeah. you know? Uh, so, and, and people can kind of get the, you know, get the mood of the room as it were. And, uh, it, so it's been pretty good. We've had, we've had some trolls, but I think they're all, um, they're all, uh, like Twitch users who don't, yeah. I don't think, you no, know, I don't think they know the band or right. me or anything like that. I think they just like, you know, troll Twitch channels and, uh, <laughs> and I think they're, I mean, I was saying on the last stream, I think they're trolling people who really desperately want viewers and um whereas i don't care about them i'm not trying to get people who are twitch users i'm trying to get to my fans so exactly. so we've got you know a couple of our uh a couple of the people who show up to most of the live streams are uh are moderators and they just you know they ban the trolls because it's too hard to keep up with when you're you're talking and you're trying to follow the chat and it can be hard to tell the difference between a troll and a and and a dum dum or a foreigner, you know. <laughs> right. They all kind of, you know, they they all share certain qualities, and uh, uh, so I think sometimes uh, well-meaning foreigners or dum dums get banned, even though they're not trolls. But uh, but typically, I think they don't do like lifetime bans. I think they're doing, you know an hour some guy got a six hour one uh <laughs> last night i don't know why six hours but <laughs> long enough to let you get through the show at least but yeah I, you know if people want to check it out it's over at uh uh twitch.tv slash ben weasel 27 and i think you do need to have an account yeah basically just give them your na a name and an email is all you really need yeah. it's not a big deal <clears throat> no it's cool um, it's definitely worth it what I liked about it a couple weeks or last week when I heard it, Ben, was um, it it there there is no format. I mean, you one question you were talking about beer, and the next time you were talking about you might have had a Riverdale's question, I think, and then the next question what you were talking about your kids and your dog, and yeah. then you were back to beer. So it was all over the place, which I thought was great. You know, as a dad, um, I can kind of relate to a lot of the kids stuff, and then of course I still wanted to hear you know I still want to hear the music side, but um. Yeah. yeah, so if you haven't heard it, it's it's entertaining as fuck. It's just Ben talking about uh, his life, basically. and Yeah. It's really good. Yeah. It pretty much is, which which is, it it boggles the mind that people show up <laughs> and, and watch that. Because, you know, I mean, to me, it's not very interesting. <laughs> but, but, you know, people keep coming back, so I guess they're enjoying it. Yeah, it's cool. As a fan, you know, I'm a fan of you, so of course I want to hear what you're talking about. You know what I'm saying? It's cool. Oh, thank you. I've been enjoying it. There was a Riverdale's question on there, and I think somebody asked you if there could be a Riverdale's reunion ever without Vapid. And um, I don't really remember what you had said. I think you said it wouldn't happen, but you would someday like to play Riverdale songs again. Um can you well, I, I mean, I have I have played them. I did a show in August in Chicago, and and did um, I did I don't know how many, probably seven or eight Riverdale songs. 
Okay. Um, I don't do them. I've tried to do some at Screeching Weasel shows, but the majority of the crowd doesn't know those songs. So you get a real, hmm. it just creates a dead spot and it, it ruins the momentum. Wow. So I stopped, I stopped doing that. I like playing the songs, but yeah. Uh, so I pulled I pulled those seven or eight out for the solo show I did with a um, with a backing band down in Chicago. Uh, but as far as the band reforming, no, I mean that can't happen. And somebody, yeah, somebody had said, "Well, why don't you do it without Danny Vapp?" And it's like, well, because he because he's you know sang half the songs. <laughs> I mean, right. you know, I'm not. I mean, I don't like the guy, but you know, you gotta if you're gonna go out and do that. You got to think about the fans, right. now, and, and he actually did that. He went out and did something. He booked it as Dan Vapid's River. <laughs> really? River. <laughs> I hadn't heard about yeah. that. Holy shit! I know he's always played Riverdale songs, whether it was the Methadones or the Cheats or any of the bands that he yeah. plays with. But I never knew that he had Dan Vapid's Riverdale. I had to explain to the promoter that Mr. Vapid might have forgotten that. Uh, that I own all the rights to the name and everything. So, uh, yeah. So that, I mean, that got pulled, I think before the show even happened, it was, it was promoted that way. And then, and then, uh, and then they stopped. Cause, uh, cause, and, and to me, it's not like, to me, it was the same reason why I wouldn't go do it. You know, I own all the rights and everything, but I'm not going to go do it without him because, not because I give a shit about him, but because uh, the fans um, deserve to see the band that is being promoted. Right. And you go and do something like that, you know, with Screeching Weasel, I, I can go out there with whoever I want. But mm-hmm. uh, but with the Riverdales, you know, you've got a guy who wrote and sang half the songs. I mean, I just think it's I, I just think it's cheesy to go out and mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, totally. Without that guy and i mean i speaking as a fan you know as a fan i'd be kind of pissed if i paid and and didn't get what i thought i was paying for yeah so that's what bothered me about when he did it i'm like you know you're you're deliberately misleading the fans and i i just i think that's fucked up you know just to make a quick buck you know i don't get it i hear you so hey ben a couple of weeks ago we had blag on and we got to talking about baby fat and he was saying that he thought you gave him all the best songs to sing on that record. Uh, would you agree with that? I agree with that. Yeah, well, he got, I mean, <laughs> you know, they, that's the lead character. Yeah, he was baby fat. The story. So, he, yeah, I mean, he got, you know, he got, really, yeah, some really good songs for sure. Definitely. Uh, he's a really good singer. Mm-hmm. I know you've probably talked about it before, but I don't think I've ever read it anywhere. How did you decide to, on who you were going to cast as the singers uh, i was just you know people who who had voices i liked who i thought could pull it off you know i think you made some great choices man yeah i mean i i think so uh you know like the one that uh chris barrows sings chris from the pink lincolns mm-hmm. there were other people i thought about getting but ultimately you know when i first thought about it i was like yeah it's that's a that's something that chris could sing right. and that that's something that he'd be good for so he was um, who I was thinking about from the, from the beginning for that one. And then other ones were just kind of um, not necessarily second or third choices, 
because, you know, in most cases I hadn't asked anybody, but just sort of more thinking and then, and going, okay, this person might be good, but then changing my mind, you know, before I even asked anybody. So that was how I ran across, um, Paul Collins, for instance. Yeah. Uh, and that was a pretty, I think, atypical. I was actually uh, very surprised to see that name in the press leading up to that album. Because, I mean, I hadn't heard anything from him in years. Yeah, and also, um, he, he you know, it's not a typical, uh, uh, the typical type of song that he sings. So, totally. Which I thought, which I thought could be interesting. And I like, I like what he did with that. I do too. Yeah. Um, yeah, so everybody, uh, everybody did a really uh, good job. And, you know, the one person I wanted to get but couldn't was, uh, was Joe King. I mean, I'm, you know, like, <laughs> he just didn't you know, want to do it or was he just too busy touring? Yeah, he was like, eh, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, you know, I mean, it's, I don't know if you know Joe, but yeah. that's just, <laughs> so that's Joe. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. And, you know, it's it's like it's like trying to nail jello to a wall it's just, <laughs> <laughs> so are you gonna do a part two i know that you had said before like in the past that part two was might be in the works is anything happening no nah, no nah, man i don't no nobody's gonna fund that i mean <laughs> crowdsource it dude Nah, it, it's just it's it's too much heavy lifting. The moment has passed, and mm. and uh, I've moved on. I've written, you know. I mean, I I wrote all the music for it, but or most of the music for it. But um, I mean, if I were to go back now, I'm sure I would drop, you know, some of the songs and and write new ones. But uh, but the really good songs from from Act Two. Uh, I've kind of assimilated into my idea for what will be the next uh, Screeching Weasel album, and I'd rather just focus on that. It's it's very uh, expensive to do something where you've got a bunch of different singers and sometimes even different musicians because you're ju- you know you're right. flying people. Yep. Yep. It. It's just uh, it was between the crowdfunding and and doing the record. It was. Uh, I'm glad I did it, but it was very, very time consuming. You know, it's a very different thing to, to, you know, you have to be working at a higher level of discipline to, um, to plot something out and have a record that, um, is sequenced before it's recorded. Cause I mean, the songs have to go in order of the story. Right. So, so while you're writing, you know, you, you, you know, you don't have maybe as much freedom as usual because you know, you have to go at bare minimum for a certain tone, uh, musically, right. Uh, in, in, in a specific spot. And, uh, uh, and so I, and I liked that. I liked the challenge of doing that. Uh, but the logistics of the thing are just, it's too much, man. It's too much. And, and I don't, you know, I wouldn't say the record got a bad reception. It got good reviews and, and I know the, the fans seem to like it, but, um, but I think a lot of people also, you know, didn't understand what it was supposed to be. And, and, uh, um, 
and I think it left a lot of people scratching their heads. And and when that's when that's the case, and then you turn around and say, okay, now I want to do part two. I have my doubts as to whether the you know crowdfunding that would be as successful as the first one was. Gotcha. I think you answered yeah. my next question too. So you are working on a new Weasel record. Well, I mean, I always am. Right. Nice. But is it so? It's going to be Screeching Weasel, or is there going to be another Ben Weasel solo record? No, I mean it would. Well, I mean, guys, I'm, I'm. I know you're I, both, but what are you going to? You know, but when I say I'm working, I just mean I'm constantly writing songs. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not working on a record per se because I don't have any money to make a record, right. and I don't have a record label. I really don't want a record label either uh so i'm in a i'm in a tough situation i mean I'm in, a, I'm in a situation where the you know the record industry has gone through massive changes and is still going through those changes it's not as though anything has been settled and um and it's about the worst time for somebody like me who has been through the whole thing of being with um record labels and stuff and has decided that uh, that I don't want that anymore. I don't want other people owning my stuff. Right. And and to my mind, if there's less and less and less money to be made in recorded music, that makes it more the case that I should be pushing to own my own stuff, not less. But of course, from a label's point of view, the exact opposite is the case. So, so you know, people are like, well, you know, you've got all these bands out there that aren't as popular as yours and they're making records. If they can, if they can do it, why can't you? And I say, because I'm not going to sign the deals that they're signing. Right. I'm not, I'm not going to, I mean, basically it's like, give me money to make a record and, um, and then you own it forever and your descendants own it forever. And I never get any more money. I mean, that that's essentially, if you want to boil it down to its essence, that's what they're signing and yeah. i can't do that i'm not going to do that to myself i'm not going to do it to my family i want to you know i've got very little to hand down to my kids and i would like to hand down to them at least this is you know this is what i did and and at this point i own the vast majority of my masters right on there are only a few that i don't own and uh do you have the publishing too yeah right on so, so you're gold yeah and i and and i like being in that position and i don't i don't want to go back and and say yeah okay so you're gonna give me money to make a record so i'm just gonna you know give you everything i mean <laughs> yeah no I, you know another aspect of it again is when there's when there's no money into it in it then you're really i think are more aware of how much you're pouring into it uh time wise and uh and maybe emotionally and and um all the energy you're putting into something all the effort you're putting into something you're much more cognizant of that and therefore the the end result is is um maybe even more valuable so uh or seems more valuable than it might otherwise uh so there's no reason um for me to do it and you know the alternative is okay go out and and crowdfund something but the last one really took a lot out of me it was i'm glad i did it i'm glad i had the experience but 
if I were going to do it again, it would have to be done differently because I spent way too much time on stuff that really had nothing to do with music. And that puts me in a bad mood and makes me not want to do it anymore. So, uh, you know, when you're, when you're crowdfunding, ideally you should be buying yourself some freedom, some space to, to do the work, you know, you're eliminating ideally as many middlemen as possible so that you can do the work and the people who support you are, are getting that work. And it's about as simple and direct uh, a transaction as, as can be imagined. But unfortunately, everything that crowdfunding involves means that essentially you just become a, a record label. And I, you know, I've run record labels and I don't want to anymore. Right. So, so, it, so that's the difficult thing right now. My, you know, my, my time is much more valuable than anything. And I'm very careful about what I'm going to spend my time on. And I don't want to spend my time on, you know, packaging up records and, and sending them out <laughs> getting on the phone with pressing plants and stuff like that. Cause that's all time where I could be, you know, I could be doing the creative work that, you know, is the whole point of the thing. Gotcha. By the way, why are we wearing bras on our heads? Ceremonial. You ever um, do you ever kind of hear a band? A band sends you a demo that you kind of get the itch to maybe uh, produce produce a little bit again, or, yeah. or no, no, 
nah, that's not, I don't have the patience for that. I mean, the problem <laughs> is, you know, um, and I know, you know, I know producers who run into this problem. The problem is for a producer to do his or her job, uh, they have to be able to call the shots and rock bands often aren't willing to give up that control. And there, you know, there are certain theories as to, you know, there's the Steve Albini theory, which is essentially his, his point of view is that he's not a producer. He records bands. The right. band is the producer. The band knows what they want. But in my observation, bands almost never know what they want. And often, <laughs> they, often when they do know what they want, they're wrong. And I'm, I mean, they, it's like somebody falls in love with a guitar tone that's no good or that's inappropriate for the band or, you know, any one of a million things. And uh, I think that it's a kind of thing that can work very well for certain bands. But I think the number of bands or the percentage of bands that can essentially self-produce really effectively is so low as to not even be worth mentioning. Most people need an objective voice to tell them where they're going wrong, if for no other reason than to uh, curb the self-indulgence that, that is bound to crop up. Uh, but we all have blind spots. I mean, I need a producer to do my best uh, because I, I am more aware now than I used to be, but I have certain bad habits that... Uh, you know, both in writing and in singing that can be picked up on by, by an objective third party and fixed. And that, I mean, that's what I want. I want to make the best record I can. And the idea, at least for me, that I can go into the studio, call all the shots and get everything right is ludicrous. <laughs> and I know that for, for what it's worth, for my own opinion, the best work I've done has been with really good producers who are able to do that, who know, who understand songwriting and songs and who also understand my strengths and weaknesses and can work with me in a way to emphasize the strengths and minimize the, the weaknesses, if not eliminate them. Right on. Cool. So who's been your favorite producer to work with so far, Ben? Uh, Mike Kennedy. Okay. He's, he's, he's the guy, uh, you did baby I fat think, right i think my first solo record might have been the first thing he produced um and that was uh 11 years ago and then i worked with him on a uh screeching weasel record uh first world manifesto and then he did baby fat and he did uh carnival of schadenfreude so he's done he's done a bunch and really uh helped me overcome my worst vocal habits and some of my bad arranging habits as well, uh, and writing habits. So, uh, so for me, I was fortunate enough to be, um, to, to have finally reached a point where I realized there was only so much that I could do and, and that I was, um, getting in my own way. So when he came along, I was very happy to say, okay, you know, I'll let somebody else, you know, call the shots and, and I'm not going to pull rank unless it's something I feel very, very strongly about, which almost never happens. 
mean, generally when he says here, I think this outro needs to change, you know, can you write something new? Then I'll say, okay. And I'll sit down and write something new. I don't, I don't tend to get real. Most of the things that he wants me to fix, it's not the kind of stuff that I, you know, that I'm married to that I care about. I mean, to me, you can write, you know, five different outros, 10 different outros for a song. And I'm not going to, you know, if they're all reasonably good, I'm not going to have a real strong preference for one over the other. Mm. Okay. When we were doing First World Manifesto, the guitarist said, oh, you know, um, you guys changed that outro on the song. Uh, uh, the name escapes me now. It's the first song on side B. It's uh, uh, Friday Night Nation. So he goes, uh you guys changed the outro. I really liked it the way it was before. I said, Oh yeah. Yeah. He said, uh, so really, he said, I really feel strongly about this. I think we should change it back. I said, well, um, I said, I don't care either way. I like both of them and I don't care. So why don't you go make your, (laughs) make your case to Mike. And, uh, you know, if you feel that strongly about it and you can make your case, then he'll probably, he'll probably change it back. He's like, but, but I'm talking to you about it. I'm like, yeah, and I just told you I don't care. <laughs> go, go talk to so, the producer, man. Go talk to the producer. You know, if you want it, fight for it. So did I he don't win the it. argument, or did it stay the same? No, he wouldn't do it. Oh, what? I guess he didn't feel that strongly about it, huh? I got the impression that he didn't do it, bec- but it was all like, no, 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 you're the boss. And I'm like, no, 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 I don't care. <laughs> It doesn't matter to me. This is a this is your thing. So if you want it, go fight for it. Make your case for it. <laughs> totally. And I he didn't either. Either he didn't bother doing it, or he didn't make a very effective argument because it ended up being the uh, the one that I wrote as a replacement. And I, and it works really well on the record. So, <laughs> but it, but it's funny because I mean at that on, in that same session, Danny Vapid was like. Um, you know, we had like two or three days of pre-production rehearsal and I wasn't there for it because I didn't need to be there. I mean, all I'm going to do is blow out my voice. They're just going over parts, mainly drums. And uh, I mean, that's boring to me and and <laughs> I'm just going to be sitting there annoyed. So, uh, but Vapid comes up and he goes, um, hey, you know, this guy, this guy, Mike, he's changing your songs. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's he's like making changes to him. I'm like, yeah, that's that's his job, right? No, dude, you don't understand. He's he's changing like you know the the intro here and and like shortening the verse or the bridge or whatever. and I'm like, yeah, I know, dude. That's why he's here. That's, that's his job. What the producer does. Yeah, wow. and I'm like, he's gonna run all. I said he's gonna run it all by me. Don't worry. But he was just, he couldn't, he was incapable of wrapping his head around that. Wow. And never, there was never any point where he was comfortable with that. Hmm. And so there are some people, I think, who just don't, they can't get away from that idea that, and it's really, if you think about it, a terribly um, arrogant and kind of pretentious idea. It all stems from the Beatles, you know, this idea that, you know, you're such an artist, but even, I mean, even the Beatles had, you know, their producer, 
Yeah, George Martin made all kinds of changes in arrangement. Yeah, but I think it's more, I'm, I guess I'm speaking more about a mentality, this mentality that like the artist is some, you know, some uh, genius who by virtue of being good at one thing is necessarily good at all things related to that one thing. And that's insanity. <laughs> and, you know, you go back, you know, to some of the great composers, you look at a guy like Wagner, who was no doubt uh, an absolute genius, wrote some of the greatest music ever, but he wasn't satisfied with doing what he w- was good at. So he would write these operas and he would insist on writing his own librettos at, at a time when nobody did that. And in fact, nobody does it anymore either, really. Um, and he was a terrible librettist. He was awful. His stuff was bloated overlong. It was often very pretentious. Uh, he had very good story ideas, but he didn't know how to write them. Um, and, and, you know, he got to the point where, uh, you know, everything had to be just so to the point where he built his own damn theater, which is still standing in, uh, in, in Bayreuth. I believe it's pronounced in Germany. Uh, they have their Wagner festival every year, hmm. uh, sold out years in advance. Uh, but but he had to you know take part in designing, you know everything involved with the architecture <laughs> of this of this theater. Um, it's insanity. It's like control you know, freak. You, you yeah, but also the just the idea that to me that's arrogance. You know the idea that that <laughs> you because you excel in one aspect of your work, you're somehow an expert in all aspects of it. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think it's, um, I think it is to the detriment of a heck of a lot of bands that they insist on taking that point of view. Because again, I, I say that most bands who know what they want are wrong. <laughs> yeah. But that's my very long answer of why I would never want to produce because I don't want to I don't want to throw myself into something only to come up against that attitude which is virtually inevitable in punk rock. It's yeah. virtually inevitable. Yeah. I, it's why it's why when you see producer on the back of a punk record it's never it's it's you know glorified engineer. It's not somebody who really produced the record in any sense that that we understand it. Right. I mean, it's not like Bob Ezrin or Phil Spector. No, not remotely. Yeah. So Ben, you had said that Mike kind of uh, called you out or helped you fix your bad habits when it came to, I think it was songwriting and vocal stuff. Um, Are there any, uh, like as far as the, the weasel catalog, are there any records that you listen to and just cringe? Cause you, you know, you just can't stand the way, you know, certain songwriting quirks or vocal things that were happening. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I would say I cringe. I think I've, I've <laughs> the worst stuff. I've got so much distance from it now, time wise, that that I more roll my eyes than than cringe. But uh, yeah, right on. but yeah, I mean, I you know, every once in a while, I'm surprised and I go, "Gee, I kind of I kind of did something good there." Um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there's, you know, you're bound to look back and, and you know, like, oh, here's this lyric. I should have spent more time on it. Um, I can't believe I phrased this thing this way or or I can't believe I let this drum thing slip or, you know, there's a million, you know, it's not just songwriting. It's not just, you know, vocals, because especially on those early records, my vocals were just all over the place pitch wise. And, you know, part of the reason for that, a big part of the reason for that is we just had 
you know, virtually no budgets to work with. So you kind of went in and got it good enough, which really wasn't good enough, but it was better than the take before. So, and you could, you could only afford a couple takes. So, uh, so, you know, and obviously digital recording has made that, um, has changed that ball game completely. And I think that has had, uh, a fairly significant effect on on my singing because I can take as long as I want to warm up and it's not nearly as time consuming and I can do a bunch of takes until I start to really get the feel of it and I didn't have that luxury in the 90s right cool so so let me ask you this uh can you can you tell us your favorite weasel record and maybe your least favorite record well, I, you know, at the risk of, of sounding like a twat, my favorite one is the one that isn't out yet that I, that I hope to make. I mean, that, you know, I, <laughs> I, I realize you. that's not the answer anybody wants to hear, but I'm always most into whatever I'm working on. Right. Uh, and my least favorite would be the first one because it's just not good. I mean, it's not, you know, it's a, it's a demo tape essentially and, yeah, okay. and not very good one. Uh, although there are, there are things on that record that, um, that, uh, I kind of like, um, I was listening recently to a, uh, a live recording from 88 where the set was mostly songs from that record. And, uh, I was like, man, that, you know, a lot of stuff actually came off not half bad live and the crowd was into it and stuff. So, um, but you know, that's that, I mean, it's not a good record and, and, uh, um, it's one of those cases where we, you know, very soon after we formed, we had these, you know, in retrospect, pretty minor, but what seemed to us to be pretty big opportunities, you know, like a record label is going to put out a record by us. You know, that was a big deal. And, uh, um, and so of course we did it, you know, you're young and and you feel like, you know, a week is like three years. <laughs> yeah. Right? So it's like, I got to do it now. And you mm-hmm. don't take the time to, so with the second record, it was, you know, I mean, that's still not a great record, but, um, I was a little more, and that record was a lot of thinking about the first one and what I didn't like about it and, and, and what direction I wanted to start moving in. So you can, you can hear things getting, you know, and there was some of it on the first one, but you can hear things getting a little bit more, um, melodic. Mm-hmm. On, totally. And even relatively mid tempo on some of the stuff. And then that really, where that really, started to gel was on the punk house ep the following year
I can't remember for the most part what I was thinking, but I can see with those records really clearly and remembering what songs I, I liked the most at the time. And I can see what I was trying to do and how I was stumbling around and not getting there and then how eventually I did get there. So that's kind of a cool thing to be able to... Yeah, you can like look, look at the look progress. At, yeah. That's cool. So it was like a, a conscious shift to the more poppy side then, right? Very conscious, I yeah. love it, love it. Yeah, uh, between Bugada, you, well, I think it was like two or three years before, you know, my brain hurts and I don't want to be fanboy here, but I think it's like the greatest thing ever fucking recorded. <laughs> and it's like night and day between those two records. So yeah. That was, uh, well, I mean, that too was, um, you know, again, I think if you, in retrospect, it's easier to see that that culture was changing. And we, along with many other people and many other bands, uh, played a part in that culture changing. Amen. Because we were, um, you know, we laughed at a lot of the punk tropes. We didn't really realize we were embracing a lot of them, too. <laughs> we didn't fully realize, but we were laughing at the worst of the punk tropes. We weren't, you know, putting anarchy symbols on on our record covers and yeah. you know, right. and corpses and rivers of blood and, and things like that, <laughs> yeah. which, you know, and, and that stuff has its has its place, I suppose. But um, but I mean, to, to, you know, it it I mean, punk was very. Um, serious and uh, often violent and, and uh, you know, quite aggressively dumb, often very political. And those were all things that we, um, that we laughed at. And we just happened to uh, come of age at a time when there were other people who felt the same way. And, and most notably embodied by uh what was happening at gilman street in berkeley and uh so we were two thousand miles away but there was a you know it felt an affinity for what was happening out there because you know that was that was a place that was a an alternative and in stark contrast to the other punk venues in the area which were in the city uh i mean i think berkeley square was doing shows but it was you know and there you know, skinhead problems and violence and you know the dumb political stuff which you know unfortunately that survived into gilman uh intact which is a shame and 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 ultimately ruined it very quickly but uh but the point is uh there was something happening culturally which we i think viewed or certainly i viewed as a uh, a very small and probably very temporary reprieve from the abject stupidity of punk culture. And I did not think at the time that, that what was happening was going to um, result in any lasting change, but it did. And yeah. it wasn't just Gilman. It wasn't just Screeching Weasel. I mean, it, there was stuff that started to happen. A lot of it was inspired by Gilman, but there was stuff that started to happen all over the country and then eventually all over the world that, um, that rejected and, and, and rejected in the best way, laughed at and mocked 
the idea of taking uh, punk culture so seriously. Right. And, and of course, as, as always happens, as soon as you do that and, and you get any bit of notoriety for that, then you immediately start taking yourself too seriously. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so that's how you could end up with, with uh, these you know, great bands like Isocracy and then watch them almost morph into a band like Filth, which when I first heard Filth, I was like, oh, this is a brilliant joke. And then realized, oh no, these guys, these guys are not kidding. <laughs> uh, this is this is jaw droppingly stupid. But there you go. Right. Um, it took a long time for the penny to drop because I knew a couple of the guys in Filth, and I thought they were, I thought it was satire. <laughs> I assumed it was, and uh, it wasn't. <laughs> So, so and and it was just funny how quickly you know i mean there there's a good example of kind of becoming what you hate or i don't know maybe they didn't hate that i i sure did um i mean another good example was rancid you know seeing seeing you know two of the guys from operation ivy just do a complete complete shift mm-hmm. to like fashion punk in attitude in look in everything it's it's it was that still uh, mystifies me to this day, but um, <laughs> but while while it was going on at the time, I don't think anybody thought, you know, this is gonna, you know, we always thought that the Boneheads were were going to win because the Boneheads always won, and <laughs> and it's so funny now to see. Um, the people who are still around from those days who were just complete boneheads, like, you know, suddenly saying and doing all the right things. It's kind of a funny thing. Uh, but, you know, I've tried and failed often, but tried to, um, tried to keep that attitude. And I mean, it's easy to some extent because I, I absolutely despise punk culture and, uh, <laughs> And so that part of it isn't hard, but the part, you know, the part that I've struggled with at times is, is learning the difference between taking your work seriously, which I think you absolutely should do and taking yourself seriously, which I think is a very mm-hmm. bad idea or taking yourself too seriously, I guess. Right. Of course you should take yourself seriously, but just, you know, kind of like not being able to laugh at yourself or, or whatever. Um, it's a bad way to live. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So um, we did an episode uh, a couple months ago about uh, we, we basically talked about all the covers that Screeching Weasel did over the years. And um, it's kind of crazy. You, you randomly seem to have a song selection. You know, you've done uh, Josie Cotton to Del Shannon, uh, Cranberries, Mangies. Um, just wondering if you just you just really like a song or is it just because the song fits or... I don't know. I mean, the only good cover we ever did was uh, I Can See Clearly. I think you got more than just that. The reason that worked (laughs) is because it was recognizable as a song while being pretty different arrangement-wise. And then the problem with every other cover we did was was that wasn't there. We We didn't change up the arrangement and make it our own. I mean, you know, the best band 
um, to ever do covers was the Dickies. And the reason their covers were so good was because they made the songs sound like Dickies songs. Yeah. And they did whatever they wanted with the arrangements and even, you know, with the melodies and chord progressions sometimes to make them theirs. Uh, that's what a good cover song does. And so we, I, I would say we failed with every cover we ever did, except uh, I can see clearly. And, and, and the reason that one succeeded is because, you know, I made a deliberate effort to do what I felt like doing with um, the arrangement to make it, to make it mine. Yeah. yeah. You definitely succeeded in making it your own, but dude, that Josie yeah. cover rules, Ben, come on now. I disagree. <laughs> uh, we, it's my favorite. We came to the, that was our favorite. Yeah, Johnny, are you queer? We thought you guys pulled it off. To us, it sounds it sounds like a great screeching weasel song, almost. You know, yeah. so. Uh, yeah. I don't hear it, but I mean, that's great if you guys like it. I'm not going to complain, but I don't like it. Hmm. Wow, dude, I love it. What led you to do the Cranberries song? I really liked that that first uh, Cranberries record, and I thought we could do. I actually, that's that's an okay cover it's not great it could have been a lot better but i thought we could i thought we could pull that off a lot of people hated that when it came out yeah. i mean our version of it i thought it was an odd choice at the time to be honest with you but i don't think it sucks or anything i was just like wow i can't believe he's covering to this me, song was, to me it made at least as much sense as gang green uh covering uh, voices carry <laughs> yeah <laughs> which was which was a pretty at the time they did that i mean that was a contemporary tune it wasn't like it was an old tune right yeah you know? and it was a, they were from boston and it was a boston band if i recall and i liked it i liked their version of it uh and so to me it was the same it was the same kind of thing that's cool so ben i've always put you up there like to me you're one of the greatest american songwriters of all time i put you right behind dd ramon dude you're like number two for me and you know no one can really touch dd but still i've always been curious at your at your approach do you come up with the chords first or a melody or the lyrics or does it just kind of vary from song to song uh, i mean i yeah i don't come up with lyric first i i uh that that is an increasingly difficult question to answer <laughs> because um because it depends. A lot of times I dream songs. Really? And so I will have a dream. There's a song in the dream. I wake up and realize that it's my song, that it doesn't exist. And then, you know, it's three in the morning and you got to stumble down and put down a voice memo. Wow. Uh, but increasingly those will have some lyrics in them. So cool. in you know, out of this batch of new songs that I think would be good for a record. I mean, it would really be like two records, but a pretty significant number of them are dream songs. Wow. So, so what I did there was nothing because I mean, I finished the song, right. but, but like if I dreamed up a chorus, then the melody and the chord progression and the lyric were already there. Right. Uh, but when I sit down to, you know, I mean, I get an idea in my head and it's usually, I guess, a melody and chord progression, and uh, and then I'll go throw that down. Or sometimes, not often anymore, but sometimes I'll just pick up the guitar and uh, and typically will uh, 
just you know strum a chord repeatedly and then see if anything comes up and and where that takes me but it's i mean it's you know generally melody driven not riff driven right uh some of the riverdale stuff i did was deliberately riff driven became the the focal point of uh, you know having a foundation for the song but typically it's the i guess it's the melody um but i don't know how you come up with a melody without a without a progression behind it so it's you know it's kind of the same thing but the lyric i mean that's you know i have a a list of song titles even occasionally just a line that I think might be good for a song, but it's usually just song titles or album titles. And if I, if something doesn't come up, I'll take a look at that and see, uh, Oh, is there something that fits this, you know, the mood or feel of the, of the song. And that's nice because then you can, you know, you've already, you already know now what the song is about. I mean, the title could lead you to, you know, 10 different directions, but you figure that out pretty quickly. Occasionally I will look at that or just come up with a title and then, you know, intentionally sit down and say, okay, I got this title. I'm going to write a song called, you know, whatever the title is. And, uh, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but there is no one set way that I, okay. that I do it. Yeah. Cause I've always just been curious about that because I always thought you were a great fucking lyricist. But like something like Science of Myth, you just had it just you had the music and then you just fit those lyrics into there like that? It was a melody and progression that lent itself to a lot of lyrics. Yeah. Okay. So that was easy enough to do. And the hard the hard ones to write lyrically are where you don't have you know, the, where they're pretty riff based yeah. and you've got relatively few syllables or spaces for i mean i i cram a lot of extra syllables in yeah um and try to make it sound natural but but where you've got something that relies pretty heavily on a riff and a beat and and there's a minimal number of lyrics in it that's a much harder thing to write 
something like Girls Town or something. Well, that's easy because you just repeat the same line over and over. But, but, um, yeah, I mean, if you if you want to have a lyric, you know, with any kind of meaning behind it, and and you've got something like that where there's there's not a lot of options and where the rhyme scheme is very rigid and tight. Uh, it's a lot, it, that's much harder to write lyrics for. And I suppose that's why I don't do that as much. Gotcha. So I've always kind of wondered this one too, Ben. Okay. So I don't know if I'm right, but I've always had this theory that we call them weasel leads. I don't know what you call them exactly, but you know, screeching weasel has a certain lead style. I think vapid had said he calls them nursery rhymes or something. But Nate and I, we always just refer to them as weasel leads. I mean, how did you stumble onto that? I always had this theory that maybe around like halfway to Sanity, you heard I Want to Live and kind of they kind of do that in that song a little bit. I thought maybe that could have sparked you in that direction. But what was it for real? Not being able to play guitar. (laughs) Honestly, I couldn't play leads properly. I couldn't bend strings and... And, you know, do all the stuff that a lead guitarist is supposed to do. So I could just hit the notes and plunk them out. And I was working with people who, you know, weren't very good musicians and would just copy what I did right. and, 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 and the playing style. And so, uh, and then by the second record, I was playing guitar on some of the stuff. So I was playing, you know, I was playing a lot of those, most of those actually, yeah. uh, and uh um and and obviously that was my quote unquote style totally it's just you know poor guitarist style <laughs> so that's it i mean I, I there was no point at all where i sat down and thought oh yeah this is my thing it was just inept guitar playing <laughs> does it trip you out that it's inspired like generations of fucking bands like all these pop punk bands have these so-called weasel leads you know what i mean well i think it's um i don't like it i mean i i i think <laughs> i think a lead guitarist should play like a lead guitarist like i grew up listening to you know some of the greatest lead guitarists of all time really in the in the glory days the heyday of rock in the 70s right. and then you know getting into metal in the late 70s and early 80s these you know what they what they call I never heard the term back then, but new wave of British heavy metal, you know, priest and maiden and stuff like that. Like those guys were my heroes, these, these shredding guitarists. And I think that's the way lead guitar should be played. Um, so I don't, I don't like it. And the problem with, with, you know, pop punk bands that do that is they are, you know, when somebody is influenced by something in the wrong ways <laughs> and, it, and it comes off badly usually the reason for that is they're copying they're copying the, the most obvious things that that they think are the most important things and that they don't realize are not and hmm. so the important thing about those leads isn't the way that they're played it's the melody right of the lead it's the idea of doing something melodic and often doing something that's repetitive and allowing the the chord progression underneath it to 
change in order to have in order to create the emotional effect yeah that so that those two things work together and i know mike hunchback had had said that and i had never thought about it until he said it and he's probably right to some extent he wondered if i had gotten that to some extent from naked ray gun because they did that a lot but i think i mean you know and they were really good at it uh but i think a lot of a lot of people have done that and and uh uh it's all you know scale based um to, i mean to me pretty simple uh stuff yeah and and, and but it has you know it, it has a certain emotional effect on people and absolutely and, that is the important part of it, though. It's not so much. I mean, there is a way, I suppose, you could play it, you know, where it wouldn't be so great. But I don't think you can just sit down and say, okay, this this kind of lead, you know, um, is is what makes a pop punk band a pop punk band. I don't think that's no. true. At all. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that there's been hundreds and upon hundreds of them that all do what you kind of started, you know, I I'm just saying, I think they're picking up on the wrong things. Hmm. Okay. And that's one of the, that's one of the wrong things to pick up on. I mean, that's not that, that's not what's important. You got, you, you can't be influenced by a band in a way that enables you to take that and make it your own and and become a great band in your own right if if you don't understand in the first place what made that band great right and you have to be able to sit down and analyze it you have to you you have to say no matter how much i like this thing what is it about this thing that makes it work and i i think a lot of people i think it's the same thing with the queers because i hear tons of bands that are influenced by the queers and they get everything wrong (laughs) and that's why they sound like bad imitations uh because they don't understand what the things that make the queers the queers and that made them in the first place refreshing and different and uh exciting and fun to listen to uh they just you know to me the bands that are copying the queers are just they're copying all the wrong things and it's it's very paint by numbers joyless um you know, just completely missing the point. I agree, but at the same time, uh, Joe's just a hell of a fucking songwriter too. So it's it's hard to write songs like that. You know, damn right it that is. Are any good? <laughs> but that's a point. Yeah. Go out and say I'm going to take all these you know various accoutrements of of a band and like somehow convince people that that you know I'm I'm in a good band too. I mean, that's what <laughs> we all do when we start. It's certainly what Screeching Weasel did, but you get found out pretty quickly and, and, and what it comes down to, I mean, if you had to bring it down to one thing, it's that Joe's a very, very, very good songwriter. And not only is he a very good songwriter, but he's a very good songwriter because in part, because he's drawing from much wider uh, array of influences than, than the people copying him are. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The people that copy the queers and weasel, that's all they listen to, man. That's why Half yeah. the pop punk bands out there today are fucking boring. Yeah. I love well, Screechy Weasel and the Queers, but it. you know what I mean? Yeah. The whole point of what Joe was doing or the whole point of what I was doing was um, 
was not to go be somebody else. I mean, we would get these criticisms like, oh, they just, uh, I mean, literally. And I still hear it sometimes. They sound exactly like the Ramones. It's like, <laughs> not well, even. No, nope. the only person who would ever say that would be like your mom. Right. You know, like, like somebody who just doesn't like rock music and it all sounds the same to them because yeah. we really don't sound like the Ramones, nor yeah. were we were we trying to, although we, we loved them and we appreciated what they did. But what I thought was the most important element in punk when I started, because I had no faith I could write a song. So what I thought was the most important element and what set it apart from all other types of rock music was a very strong sense of individuality and that that had to drive everything about the band the songs, the lyrics, uh, what what we were like on stage, all of that had to be our own thing. And obviously when you're young, you're starting out, you're borrowing intentionally or not, like crazy. And that's fine because that's a big part of rock music. And in fact, it's a big part of art. There's nothing wrong with that. But when you start, you are not able to find your voice right away usually so it takes a little while to get out of your own way and figure out your own voice not not only figure out obviously your strengths and your weaknesses but also your voice and every writer has to do that every filmmaker every painter sculptor poet everybody has to find their voice and if you're not if you don't hit the point pretty quickly where you're trying to do that, then you're just going to be a copycat. You're not going to be any good. And so that before I even thought about being able to be good at writing songs, that was the driving force behind the band early on. If nothing else, it was going to be me and my attitude. And, uh, and that I think is a huge part of what's missing. You know, they, you can't cop my attitude. You can't cop Joe King's attitude. It's not yours. Exactly. You got, it's not yours, which means it's not genuine, which means your stuff isn't going to resonate. It's not going to ring true for anybody. It's not going to inspire anybody. The inspiration isn't, I want to be like this person. The inspiration is, I want to I be who I am and who I have not to this date been because I have not tapped into that creative energy which maybe you have the talent, maybe you don't, I don't know. But I haven't tapped into that and found out who I am. Right. Uh, mm. Not just, I mean, I don't mean who I am necessarily in the greatest sense, but who I am creatively. That's something you got to figure out. It's a process and you have to be consciously committed to doing it, I think. Uh, and it was, that is one of the things that was much easier in the older days of punk because you didn't have any choice, really. I mean, you did in the sense that you could just copy what everybody else was doing, but but there was not really, and even though a lot of people did that, there wasn't really much point in doing that because it wasn't like it was going to make you money, you know? <laughs> right. Nobody was making money, so what was, mm -hmm. you weren't really risking as much to just say, oh, fuck it, I'm going to do my own thing, and if people don't like it, fuck them. And I think that's harder to do now. There's less money to go around. There's way more bands and it's much harder to take that risk and to give yourself the room and the time to become who you are. 
uh, it's a much riskier proposition now. And so I think that's one of the only ways in which we maybe had it easier back then. It was a lot easier for a guy like Joe King to say, I'm going to do what I want because nobody's listening anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so um, when it comes to Joe, I know you produced the uh, the beat-off record for the Queers, yeah. a couple records before that. Um, when you first heard the song Ben Weasel, um, what'd you think? I, I was wondering, I, I never heard this before, but did he write that song because he was pissed at you because you were trying to, you know, tell him what to do in the studio? Or was that something he brought in beforehand? Or No, the, stu- no, the song was, I think they were even playing it on the road before they came in. And, okay. And, but it, no, it was done when they were in the studio. No, I mean, if... Uh, I mean, I thought it was funny. I thought it was dumb, <laughs> but, but funny. It's hilarious. I dumb, thought, but funny is kind of the queer's mo. So, yeah, I uh, thought maybe you were just kind of pushing him around the studio or something, and he he got pissed at you, so he came at you with this great funny song that was kind of no, about you. He did, he did the song, <laughs> then I pushed him around in the studio. <laughs> did you really make Vapid clean his room? <laughs> I have no idea what you're talking about. That's great. It's the lyric in that. There's a line in that song that says, uh, "You make little vapid clean his room." <laughs> so, no, I mean only if only when the stench started to infiltrate the rest of the apartment, I suppose. Nice. <laughs> um, so I, I know you got young kids like I do. I'm. Do they know what you do? Do they know um, kind of what you've what you do? You know to the world yeah. i mean been influential to you know hundreds of great bands and hundreds of terrible bands you know either way you look at it um oh i don't know no i mean they don't you know they don't know nothing about that i've told them over and over i'm not famous and don't you know <laughs> don't ever give the don't ever give people the idea that i'm that i'm famous but no yeah i mean they know what i do they've come to you know my shows and stuff so they're not quite aware that you're basically like considered a punk rock legend, right? They don't know how deep it goes. Uh, I'm not even aware of that, so yeah. <laughs> well, I will dub you a punk rock legend right here in the Debbie Room. Ben Weasel, you are a punk rock legend, good sir. One of the okay. greats. Hey, I'll, ta- I'll take it. Uh, <laughs> you are to me, man. I mean, I've been a fan forever. It feels like my whole life almost. Well, I appreciate it. It's, I mean, that's, uh, you know, that's... Not nothing, I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something. You know, I, it's nice when people say things like that, but I just think it's a really. Uh, it's not that I can't take a compliment. I just think it's a bad idea to <laughs> think too much about that. It's always a right. good idea. Whenever you start thinking about what people think of you, good or bad, it's a good idea to just shut up, you know, <laughs> and, and go work, do your work. Because mm-hmm. if you are any good, um and people do like you that's that's what they like they like your work so the best solution to that is is to just not you know sit around smelling your own farts but just go totally <laughs>
So can we ask you a little bit about the documentaries or any news? Is there a release date or anything? I'm, I'm dying to see no, this thing. There's no release date, but it's being edited now, allegedly. I They're shooting for um, an assembly cut, a rough cut, by the end of the year. And at that point, we'll uh, convene, watch it, make notes, decide if we have enough to... Um, to complete the film or if we have to uh, shoot any additional footage. But I'm preliminary reports are suggesting that we probably at most are going to have one more interview with me and then, um, and then we should be good to go. And so if, if this stays on schedule, which is always a big if, and if we can, um, come to you know whether it needs more footage or not if we can resolve that fairly quickly then i'm hoping it'll be done uh by next summer but i mean anything can and and probably will go wrong and that's why i haven't really put a lot of updates uh out there about it right it's uh it's you know to some extent obviously going to be dictated by the footage we have and in some sense we're limited uh with some of the angles we wanted to take because of the people who refused to be interviewed uh so we can't necessarily do quite as much there as we had hoped because the whole the whole basis of the film is is conflict really right and if you've got people who either won't be interviewed or who agree to be interviewed but don't want to, you know, hurt anybody's feelings or say anything, you know, on camera that might cause controversy, then then you're going to have very little of the interband conflict. Right. Um, so, thankfully, me being who I am, there's lots of non-interband conflict. So, so I don't think we're going to be wanting in that regard um but it's sort of you know the situation i think when you sit down to do anything and you go okay here's the ideal situation you know here's here's the best case scenario and um and you never get that so i know from talking to uh nick who is now he did the sound and now he is uh taking over the editing and i know talking to him he has a lot of confidence that the other angles and narratives that we want to string together are strong enough to carry the the film which is encouraging because nick has seen all the footage because he has synced everything and i mean it's an unbelievable amount of footage cool i have seen zero footage i haven't seen any of it. so all i know about the film at this point is what those guys have told me, which is very little, and what I remember from sitting down doing several interviews with them. Oh, right on. So, you know, these things, unfortunately, take time. So we're waiting for this edit, uh, this rough cut to get done, which will be, you know, three and a half hours, four hours, and then see, okay, can we can we chop this rascal up and, and end up with, a, a, you know, a nice, tight 70-minute film, or do we need more? I'm super stoked uh, to see it, man. I can't wait to see this shit. Me too. Yeah. 
So is it going to like encompass the like the full history of the band or I mean, are, you, are they going back and talking to Steve Cheese and stuff like that? Um, we tried to get him. He never replied. Uh, I mean, it's not a history of Screeching Weasel. It's not meant to be that. Okay. It's it's uh, it's not meant to really be something, you know, like a behind the music thing yeah. for the fans. It's it's fact. It's meant to be the anti behind the music. It's yeah. it's meant to be uh, much more of a narrative. And uh, and to take a look at, you know, kind of the reality of being in a working band that is not famous and and but that, you know, is still, you know, going along, earning a living and and, you know, has fans and all that, uh, because I don't think that has been done before. Uh, and because I don't like the you know, I don't want a movie with a bunch of interviews with people talking about how we push the envelope and. And you know, th- thought outside the box, and all that fucking bullshit that's in all those movies. I mean, it, it's obnoxious to me, and and I don't, th- I don't think that's what the fans really want, even if they think they do. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think uh, what they want is a film that approximates what they get from the band, which is not always necessarily what they think they want. And part of the reason music works well you know there was a study done recently about the biggest pop hits and and some of the commonalities and one of the biggest factors and what separated the biggest pop hits from from less successful songs was an element of surprise in chord progressions or changes changing keys things like that but there was that element of surprise um, it's a mixture of the familiar and the new. And so my idea going into it as, as one of the producers on the film and trying to be as objective as I can about it is, uh, is to try to, um, take that same attitude towards the film and to give something, to give people something that, will hopefully defy expectations both for the people who like us and the people who hate us. And I don't know if we'll succeed in that goal, but that's the ambition. And you've got to, um, you know, you've got to set the bar high. You've got to aim high. Uh, you're probably not going to reach those heights, but if you don't try, then you're definitely not going to reach them. And, and I don't think that's any way to uh, go about your business. Right. Are you guys thinking about, I mean, is it going to be in theaters or is it straight to Blu-ray or is it going to be on Netflix? What's, what's the plan? Honestly, we haven't talked about that. The only thing um, that's come up in that regard, I mean, we're not even close to that point. So the only thing that's come up in that regard is not even a, uh, really a discussion in depth, but, but just the question of, do we want to try to get any festival play? Yeah. I guess the question that goes along with that is, do we want to, uh, try to get a distribution deal? Right. And I don't, I mean, I have my own answers to both those questions, but I don't know. I don't know what the other guys think. And 
Um, and because they have more experience in the film world than I do, I'm likely to defer to their judgment to a pretty large degree. Right. But we're not, we're not even at that bridge yet, much less ready to cross it. So I know it probably seems strange, but we, we have right now we're so focused on just trying to, you know, make sure that we have what we need and edit the thing that, that what we're going to do with it, believe it or not, hasn't even been discussed. That's what's up. Mm. I can't wait to see it, man. Me neither. Looking forward to it, man. Me too. So Ben, (laughs) what do you think is going to be your lasting legacy? I mean, you've given us so much great music, you know, I mean, like, what do you want to be remembered for? I don't care. No? No. I mean, I think legacy, (laughs) I think legacy is bullshit. It's, it's, I mean, I guess, I guess it's valuable in the sense that it tends to keep people in line. I mean, I think, for example, um, U.S. presidents, yeah. and I guess any leader of a country, they tend to be governed to some extent by how they think history will judge them. And so I guess in that, in that regard, legacy is probably important, but I'm not a politician and, and I don't have power over other people or anything like that. So I don't think you have to worry about that with me. And I I don't, to me that it's, it's fantasizing. And I, I think that it's the same thing, you know, that I was saying earlier, I, I don't think it's helpful to what you do to spend a lot of time thinking about that and worrying about it. For one thing, you have absolutely no control over it. You think you do. <laughs> you think, well, if I do this or that or the other thing, then my legacy will be this. But that's really not necessarily true. Right. And, and for most people, their legacy is nothing. I mean, long term, the overwhelming majority of the people who have lived are forgotten. Sad, but true, man. Very, very small percentage. And to think that you're going to be among that percentage that is remembered hundreds or thousands of years from now, I think is, is, uh, is incredibly arrogant. And, uh, it's like thinking, you know, it's, it's just like thinking, yeah, I'm going to buy a lottery ticket and and I'll be a millionaire. I mean, it's just not likely to happen (laughs) and it's, it's a waste of your time and money. So that, you know, my attitude is I think worrying about your, your legacy is a bad idea uh, because you don't have any control over it and because it gets in the way of your work. So just work, just do your work. It'll take care of itself. If, if, if there is anything that needs taking care of, then doing your stuff will take care of it for you. Right on. Right on. Listen up, folks. Wise words from Mr. Ben Weasel. All right, Ben. Um, once again, anyone who hasn't heard the, his new show, it's on Twitch TV. Go there, Ben Weasel twenty seven. Google it. Whatever you got to do, it's it's entertaining as fuck. Uh, I just signed up in less than two minutes. Super easy. So, uh, yeah. Thanks again, Ben. Look forward to uh, hearing more Weasel records, reading more books from you, listening to your new show. And uh, thanks, man. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Yep. Thanks so much, Ben. It was a real treat for us, man. Me too. It was fun. Right on. All right. Thanks. Thanks for not making fun of us. <laughs> I was very nice. I was very polite. Yes, you were. Maybe next time. <laughs> yeah. Good luck right. with the podcast. Thank you Thank very you. much.
All right, so long. Have a good night. Bye-bye. You too. All right. Well, there you have it. That was our interview with Mr. Ben Weasel. Man, we can cross that off the dummy room bucket list, huh, Nate? Yeah. So, all right, man. Well, this has been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, if you're listening and you want to help us, share it however you, however you can, you know, comment on us. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, subscribe, follow, do all that shit on social media if you're so inclined. Please and thank you. We also want to send a special thank you out to Kelsey Boyer and Haley Crusher. Pretty sure this episode would not have happened without you ladies, so thank you so much. That was super rad of you, and we really do appreciate it. Thanks, guys, both of you. And also, to anyone that's a new listener, we drop a new episode every single Thursday, wherever finer podcasts can be found. So just Google us up, you'll find it, and stay tuned. we got a lot of other cool shit coming your way. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. See ya. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.